reading from John 6, 51 to 58. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It almost sounds like something from a vampire movie. It's no wonder the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? This is shocking language, hard for Jesus' listeners to stomach. And drink his blood? The Jewish law forbids any Jew from eating meat with any blood in it at all no rare stakes for kosher Jews, since blood was thought to be the sacred life of the animal. So scandalous is this language about eating Jesus's flesh and drinking his blood that even Jesus's own disciples have a hard time with it, as is seen in the ensuing verses of John's gospel. Some of Jesus's disciples even stop following him because they cannot stomach this scandalous, appalling language. Rumors even circulated among some opponents of Christianity in the first centuries of the church that Christians were cannibals. But what you and I must remember is that this is one more instance of Jesus using symbolic language and his audience hearing it in a literal way. You may remember that when Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be born again, Nicodemus asks, how can I crawl back into my mother's womb and be born again? And when Jesus tells the Samaritan woman at the well that he will give her living water, she says, but you have no bucket. Throughout John's gospel, Jesus speaks symbolically 
but his audience hears him literally and therefore misunderstands. But John wants his readers, you and I, to know that when Jesus says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He's not speaking about eating Jesus's literal, physical flesh and drinking his literal blood. Rather, he is using powerful, shocking symbols to grab our attention so that he might convey to us the profound meaning, message, and purpose of Holy Communion, the Eucharist, which the whole sixth chapter of John's Gospel is all about. The 19th century German philosopher Ludwig Feuerbach famously said, you are what you eat. Now, Feuerbach was advocating for materialism and atheism over and against Christianity. There's no need to attribute anything spiritual to human beings, he argued, for we are simply the sum total of what we eat. And on a strictly physical, cellular level, he is right. It has been estimated that in an adult human body, one million cells die and are replaced each second. And the molecules needed to build those new cells come from the food we eat. So in a strictly physical sense, we are what we eat. The molecules of the food we eat become the molecules of our bodies. And to a point, the gospel writer John would have agreed with Feuerbach. For John knows that we humans have a material nature. But at the same time, John knows that we humans John knows that our material nature is suffused with the spirit and being of Christ, the eternal word of God, which, as John tells us in his prologue, became flesh. The divine became one with what is material and physical in what Christians call the incarnation. But John also understands that Holy Communion, the Eucharist, is more than simply symbolic. It is sacramental. In receiving the bread and wine of the Eucharist, we are in some inexplicable but no less real way actually taking Christ into ourselves. This is the whole reason Jesus gave us the gift of Holy Communion. It was not so that we might fondly remember that poignant night 2,000 years ago when Jesus had his last supper with his disciples. No. Jesus wants us, you and I, to take his very being, his substance, his spirit, his consciousness, 
his mind, love, forgiveness, grace, his life into our very beings. He wants to get inside us so that we might become one with and in him. St. Paul speaks of this experience of living in Christ when he writes, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And C.S. Lewis put it this way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became human for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose than becoming the incarnation of Christ. Unquote. My friends, I am convinced that the correlation between eating food and having the molecules of that food truly become us and eating Christ and having his life become our life, that correlation is not a loose speculative analogy. It's very substantial and organic. Just as I live because of the Father, Jesus says in the gospel passage I read at the beginning, so whoever eats me will live because of me. Jesus is speaking of a very real incorporation of his being into our being, in much the same way food becomes our bodies. We take a bite of an apple, for example, and we chew that morsel of apple. The enzymes in our saliva start to break it down. We swallow that morsel, and the gastric juices in our stomachs break that morsel down even further. At what point does that morsel of apple cease to be apple and start to be us? Similarly, at what point does the bread which we eat at Holy Communion cease to be bread and become Christ in us or Christ as us? Christ making up the very cells of our bodies and the substance of our souls. Now, putting food into our mouths and swallowing it begins an automatic process of changing the food into the cells of our bodies. We don't have to think about digestion. It just happens. But consuming Christ in Holy Communion and digesting his life so that his life becomes our life is not so automatic. Something needs to happen for the transformation to take place. What is it? Do we have to understand and believe what is happening in the Eucharist before it can transform us? 
Well, understanding and belief might help, but what Franciscan priest Richard Rohr suggests is even more important, is coming to communion with a hunger to be fed with the food of Christ and being fully present ourselves to the presence of Christ in Holy Communion, the Eucharist. Eucharist is our presence encountering God's presence, Father Rohr states. It is mutuality, vulnerability. It feels so empty, naked, and harmless that all you can do is be present. The Eucharist is telling us that God is the food and all we have to do is provide the hunger. Somehow, we have to make sure that each day there's room inside of us for another presence. If you are filled with your own opinions, ideas, righteousness, superiority, or sufficiency, you are a world unto yourself, and there is no room for another, no room for God. And so we come to Eucharist, Holy Communion, with open, humble, hungry, vulnerable hearts, emptied of self, so that we might be filled with the life and being of Christ. All my life as a Catholic, Father Rohr states, I have believed that the real presence of Christ is in the Eucharist. Now, I also recognize that the very concept of presence is inherently and necessarily relational. We Catholics can defend the doctrine of the real presence all we want, and I do, but if we don't teach the children of God how to be present to God's presence, there is no real presence for them. And this relational nature of being mutually present extends to the other people with whom we are worshiping during the Eucharist service. Holy communion is never just between an individual and Christ. St. Paul says that those who receive Holy Communion without recognizing the body, which means the rest of the members of the church, bring judgment upon themselves. Richard Hooker, the 16th century foundational theologian of Anglicanism, said, the real presence of Christ's most precious body and blood is not to be sought for in the sacrament, but in the worthy receiver of the sacrament. Richard Rohr says that if we leave the altar rail after receiving communion and turn and bow to the altar or genuflect as we re-enter our pew or leave the building, we have missed the point. Christ is now in you, in me. He has become part of us and continuing to bow to Christ in the bread and wine out there 
outside of ourselves on the altar in the tabernacle is to intimate that we did not receive him in the bread and wine and were not ourselves transformed, which is the very reason for the Eucharist. The Eucharist is an encounter of the heart, says Father Rohr, knowing God's presence through our available presence. In the Eucharist, we move beyond mere words and thinking with a rational mind and go to that place where we don't talk about the mystery anymore. We begin to chew on it. In fact, the original Greek word in today's gospel is not eat, but chew or gnaw. Jesus did not say, think about this more or stare at this. He said, chew this, digest this. We must move our knowing to the bodily, cellular, participative, unitive level. Then we keep eating and drinking the mystery until one day it dawns on us in an undefended moment, my God, I really am what I eat. The body and blood of Christ, behold who you are, become what you receive. Then we really will be what we eat. Amen.